heart, soul, mind, and strength. These are the four dimensions of human health. This is where growth happens, and it's addicting. Welcome to the Growth Junkies Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Growth Junkies Podcast. My name is Ben, and I'm joined with by Kent. Say hi, Kent. Howdy. We are your Growth Junkie hosts, and we're Ooh. continuing in our what we believe are fascinating discussions that lead to growth junkieism, mm-hmm. a new term that we're we're always coining something here. Yeah, just kind of happens uh, midstream as we do this. But I just like saying junkie. Junkie sounds funny to me. Yeah, we just added an ism junkie-ism. to the end. Junkieism. <laughs> so we're continuing in that uh, by discussing all kinds of various interesting topics, and uh, we hope that you find them as interesting as we do. A majority of these topics you can find in our four dimensions of human health curriculum. Uh, We believe they are vital topics to discussing uh, your growth and maturity and thinking about life appropriately. Uh, We're kind of picking up with a previous discussion we had on humanity from our four dimensions of human health curriculum. And this one today is on self-image. It's the first session under strength. Uh, and to make sure we we understand that correctly, when Jesus says to love God with your strength, in essence, he's saying to love God with your power and influence, uh, which is something that all of us have. And the way we bear the image of God uh, comes through in a variety of ways, but it also helps uh, and, and informs us to understand our self-image, the way we view ourselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a very important topic, something that takes some reflection and, and thought for every person. And, and we're going to get into the issues, some of the issues surrounding it, uh, challenges we face when we think about it. In our curriculum, we have a quote from a Boston College professor named Peter Kreft, and he wrote this uh, or said this, there is a deep spiritual sorrow at the heart of modern civilization because it is the first civilization in all of history that does not know who it is or why it is. That cannot answer the three great questions. Where did I come from? Why am I here? And where am I going? This is the most terrifying thing of all to say to us because our primary need is denied, our need for meaning. Mm -hmm. And there's a significant aspect of our self-image and meaning that are tied together. Uh, Often I think about it this way or or would say it that um, we are to love God holistically we're to love others intentionally, mm-hmm. and we're to love ourselves appropriately. Mm-hmm. And I think that is the discussion that we're having here today. When you look at yourself and understand what your image is, how is that informed? Where did your identity come from? How is it shaped? Have you given some thought to that? Uh, because ultimately, those things inform how you view yourself. Yeah, yeah. Like so, like if you were to go into um, the lab and perform an experiment, you need something called a control. Which is sort of like, you know, the foundational, like, this is what happens when nothing's done to it. You know, this is what it's supposed to be like. So you use the control to measure, you know, your other experiments against it. And so when it comes to the issue of self-image, the question is, do we have a control? Mm-hmm. Something to compare it to, you know, something to go to sort of this frame of reference. Because a lot of times with the issue of self-image, we slip very quickly into other discussions like esteem and so forth. And we'll talk about that. Yeah. But with self-image, it's, it's very much about 
you know, saying good things about yourself and puffing yourself up, you know, with, with positive comments and having a good outlook on life and sort of psyching yourself up, you know, I mean, that only lasts so long. And if you don't have a control or something, a frame of reference to, to look back on or a foundation to build upon that self image, never is solid. It's always shifting, always moving. And no wonder people have such low self images because we're constantly getting a beat down. In the world we live in, constantly feeling bad about ourselves, guilt and shame, you know, <laughs> come from every direction, right. not ourselves and other people. I mean, how, how many of us can relate to that feeling guilt and shame and like, I'm not good enough. I don't measure up. Mm-hmm. And it feels like, like, you know, self image, a healthy one comes and goes depending on circumstances, depending on successes and failures, right. good seasons and bad seasons. And that is a really herky jerky, difficult way to live, yeah. isn't it? It is. And this is, so I'm going to say something here that I think is helpful in this journey of self image because of how closely linked it is to the concept of identity, mm-hmm. right? Which is a very confusing topic today. Is identity fixed? Is it not fixed? Well, At a very low level, I just want you to think about and reflect on how much of your identity is actually fixed. It's something that is in you that you can't change. Mm -hmm. And so here's here's what I mean by about that eye color or skin color, for example, right? Your eye color, no matter how much you would maybe like to change it if you don't like it, say you have brown eyes and you really would like blue eyes, you didn't come into the world that way. You have blue eyes or you have brown eyes. You can't change those. You could put artificial things on top of them to try to change them. But in reality, it's fixed, Mm -hmm. much like skin color is fixed. And where it starts to become very damaging to people and the whole concept of self-image becomes undermined is when we start to think a lot of these things are not fixed. And we end up drifting off into very unhealthy places. And I think this was at the base in many ways of the whole self-esteem movement Mm -hmm. when I was growing up and you were growing up, this was a big deal in education, right? Self-esteem. If everybody just thinks better about themselves and is more positive and thinking about themselves, then, then we'll all be happier. Mm -hmm. Well, we don't hear much about self-esteem anymore. Why? Because it failed. It doesn't work. The whole movement failed. You can't just think better. What you have to know is what's true about you. That's right. That's where it begins. So now what has happened? We've gone from the self-esteem movement to the life skills movement. Mm -hmm. There are all these skills that everyone's supposed to develop that would be beneficial to them because what do people know who study psychology? They know that virtue makes a person healthier. Mm -hmm. They have to live out of fixed attributes that are created in them to help them be a healthy individual, to view themselves appropriately appropriately, and their responsibility in the world appropriately. See, but that's that's still dangerous to me. I feel like it's going to end up in the same place. It's it circular does. because you're going to set your value and dignity and purpose in how skilled you are. And so I feel like Napoleon Dynamite here. You, know, you, you got to have some sweet skills, right? And and what about those of us that don't have Both skills? Staff skills. Oh yeah, you, you got to have some sweet skills. And the, the reality is, if you don't have any sweet skills, you haven't cultivated any skills, or some people have more skills than you do, then you're always trying to measure up. Exactly. You're always trying to be as good as or better than, and that's an exhausting treadmill to be on. Yeah. So where we tie the self image to is critical. Yep. Right. Are you developing skills just to develop them Mm. or is there an overarching purpose? Where does the importance of any 
particular skill or virtue come from? Mm -hmm. Why does it matter? Why is it valuable? Mm -hmm. And that is directly tied to how we view ourselves. Well, let me ask a question. I'm thinking about this, and this, this goes against the grain of how our culture functions, is that we tie our value to how many skills we have or how many credentials we have or how much experience we have mm-hmm. or how beautiful we are or not. And and the reality is what if there's something, what if the control, what if the frame of reference says that it has nothing to do with anything you bring to the table, it has nothing to do with how good looking you are, how rich you are, your social status, your color, your culture, mm-hmm. none of that. And, and, and so, cause the reality is this, if we base our value and our image on how much we bring to the table, then babies, newborns bring nothing to the table mm-hmm. and they have no value. Right. And then older folks, you know, maybe who are in rest homes, you know, or people that are, you know, um, in, in, in beds and hospitals bring nothing to the table and they're effectively useless and they have less value. Yeah. But we all know in our bones that is wrong. Like that is a wrong way of looking at it. So it's there must be something outside of us that gives us dignity and value and purpose and all the rest aside from anything we bring. And I think it's criti- critical to go to that. And so I would say for those of us that have a Christian worldview, we have mm-hmm. the Bible, we have the scriptures, and we have a frame of reference. Mm-hmm. We have what God says about us. And so what if I could tell you, growth junkies, that everything that you need to feel good about yourself has nothing to do with what you have personally, mm-hmm. with where you were born or what gifts you have or what skills you have or how much success you've had. Yeah, it's fixed and you didn't choose it. Exactly. And I think it takes the pressure off. The reality is I don't have to do anything to be valuable. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't contribute anything to have any dignity. The reality is that you have something just because you're a human being. And you bring up an interesting point in referencing infants and the elderly and Mm -hmm. value placed on them, right? Mm -hmm. Um, If you're a person out there who who, uh, ventures yourself as being a a person of science and reason, I want to throw this out to you. Uh, The reality is what you believe and what you understand um, has a philosophical underpinning. Mm -hmm. And if you've never read the Humanist Manifestos, I would encourage you to go and do that because for someone who says, that there is no God, mm-hmm. and and we're all kind of doing this on our own and deciding what we want to believe, I think it would be an interesting read for anyone who ventures themselves to be um, a person of science and reason. Mm-hmm. Because at the base of the Humanist Manifestos is the philosophical underpinnings of what someone like that would say. Mm. And in the first few par- paragraphs, it gets really scary very fast. So now I'm thinking Nacho Libre. He said, I am a man of science. <laughs> right. Like, and is it, is science, not faith, as though they're opposed to each other. And well, the reality, they're not. Because what you see in those first few paragraphs is how things like euthanasia and genocide mm-hmm. can be viewed as right in a world where there's no moral compass. That's exactly right, because it's expedient. And, and, and if you believe in a world in which human worth and dignity and value is tied to your production. Right then you you end up with that kind of world. And how much is our world like that today? Oh, it's exactly that we are sizing up value of other people based upon how famous they are or how rich they are or how good looking they are or how appealing they are. And that is a fundamental wrong way of looking at humanity. And it's a distortion totally. ultimately of oh, yeah. identity and purpose. Yeah. Right? It, it, we've distorted identity, purpose, and meaning and made them about productivity. Yeah. And so the image of every person is is tied and based solely upon what it is they produce. 
Right. So, so here's, here's the crux self image. What if your self image is not really your image? It is an image that you have. Mm -hmm. And so we introduced in our last episode, uh, we talked about humanity, a concept called the image of God. The Imago Dei is is the 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 Latin you know version of it, and this it's a theological concept that describes why people matter, you know why where do we draw significance from? And so to your point about Peter Kraft and, and the quote he gave, those three big questions: Where did I come from? Why am I here? Where am I going? Here's the truth: Without the image of God, you can't answer those questions. Mm. There's no answer. In fact, in in a godless world. And a simply pure naturalistic, scientific, naturalistic world, there is no God and therefore there is no purpose and there is no why. Mm. You can't even ask the question. There's no why. There's no reason. And that leads people to a place of meaninglessness. Where you get our meaning from is a context for those answers. And so where do I come from? Why am I here? Where am I going? Here's the thing. Those are answered by the Imago Dei. Mm -hmm. Those are answered by the image of God. You can know where you've come from. You can know why you're here and you can know where you're going. So I think we should talk about that. I think, you know, uh, the image of God uh, placed on human beings goes back to Genesis where it says that God made human beings and he made them to bear his image. And it said, let us make humans people in our image, in our likeness. And there's this curious phrase there, image and likeness. Mm -hmm. They're two different Hebrew words. And the two words go together. And in an interesting way, the, the word for image is the word selam in Hebrew. And it actually means like shadow. So like when you're walking down the road and the sun is shining, you look behind you, you see your shadow and your shadow does whatever you do. It's, it's, it's you, but it's a shadow of you. And then the word for likeness uh, the closest thing to it is like it's like copy or quite literally they used to make these machines called fax machines. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if anybody knows what fax machine is. If you're in real estate, you still use them. It all you know gets I mean? sent digitally now. Yeah, right? are they? Okay. Fax machine. So a fax machine was just like it's like a copy machine It's where you put something in and out comes a copy exactly like the other. And so those two words shadow and a fax or a copy is used to describe human beings in relationship to God. Mm. And I, here's a little, little twist in the Lord of the Rings movies. That amazing horse is called shadow facts. <laughs> so a little, little clue here. That was something CS Lewis dropped in that book. That actually is a combination of the two Hebrew words for image and likeness. Did you say it was Lord of the Rings or Chronicles of Narnia? Which one? Oh, I thought it was, is it Chronicles? I don't know. I think it's Lord of the Rings. I'm almost positive it's okay. Lord of the Rings. Shadow facts. Yes, because Gandalf, yeah, it's Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit. So in comes this amazing horse, the king of horses, the king of horses, and yeah. yet the king of horses is created, but the king is Lord of all other horses. It's the shadow facts. Mm. It is the replication of its creator. And so that's us. We were made to be shadow facts to the rest of the world, the rest of the created order. King of all creatures. And like it says in Genesis, we make them in our likeness. Yeah. Is how creation was. Yeah. The artist made the art in its likeness. That's right. And so interesting story um, going back in history a little bit that illustrates this is there was an artist in the 70s named Rafino Tamayo. Um, and there's this interesting story about a painting of his where there was this gal in Manhattan who went out and she took the same route for coffee every day. Her name was Elizabeth Gibson. And she mm. would, in New York City, if you've ever been there, there's, 
you know, trash on the streets and it's tight and everybody lives kind of on top of each other, as a lot of other cities would be. But she would take the same route to the same coffee shop every day. And this particular day was trash day. And she walks by this heap of trash and she sees this what looks like piece of artwork. And she's like, it doesn't matter in her mind. She's like, it doesn't matter what what this is. No art should ever be thrown away like that, whether it's a print or real or whatever. So she goes and gets her coffee and she's continually bothered by this. So she walks back to this trash pile and she takes this piece of art out hmm. and takes it home with her. Cause she's like, well, someone, whoever had this is just throwing it away. So for several years, she did research trying to find out what this thing was and, and if it was real and whatever. And eventually she saw on like, it was uh, like antique road show that they had put this call out for a stolen piece of art from back in years pri- previously that, that had been taken. And if anybody knew where it was, it was the piece of art she had. Oh, no way. It was a painting uh, called Trace Personas by Rufino Tamayo. Uh, I, th- I think he was a Mexican descent artist. Um, and he had done this. Well, someone thought it was trash. Well, when they eventually got the ha- their hands on the painting and auctioned it, it went for $1.2 million. Mm. But the point of me sharing that illustration is this. When an artist creates, they create their masterpieces, mm-hmm. right? They create out of who they are and who they are is reflected in what they create, mm-hmm. right? And that's exactly what we're talking about here. We are God's masterpiece. Mm-hmm. So any ways in which we mar our self-image or choose to change it or think about it differently is saying to God, what you created is not good. Right. What you made is a reject. Yeah, and there's a fascinating occurrence in the Gospels where there's a blind man and the disciples look at the blind man. They say, hey, who's screwed up? Who sinned? Is it him or his parents? And Jesus said, nobody did. In fact, God made him that way Mm. for his glory. And I just think it's a beautiful display of the fact that all of us, if we start with that realization that God like made us the way we are and loves us the way we are, and it is good enough, no matter what the world says, not because we screwed up, not because we've been screwed over, you know, but because, you know, God wants us this way. And so I think it's a tremendous reminder to go back to this truth that we're made in his image as human beings. And that gives us distinct value. It says a lot about our identity, doesn't it? Mm, yeah. Who am I? Who am I? Well, I'm made by God. I'm unique. I'm, I'm equal to all the human beings. I have dignity. I have value as a human being mm-hmm. for no other reason than the fact that I'm made in his image. And it doesn't have anything to do with, you know, whether I have all my eyes, all my arms, all my capacities, all my faculties. In fact, I made this point this week in a class I was teaching that, um, you know, if you cut someone's arm off, it doesn't make them less of a person. If you lose a faculty, you lose capacity. It doesn't make you like 80% of a person or 70% of a person. Mm. You're still a hundred percent a person right? because you are not your body. You know, you are a soul that has a body and not vice versa. So if we were just a body and you remove part of our bodies, a hand or a foot, then we are less of a person. So that should be proof of the fact that we are not just our bodies. Well, and I know I'm venturing into some interesting water here, but like gender issues are a big deal today. Yeah. Right. And I think one of the most harmful things we do to people is when they get reduced to their their sexual identity. Yeah. 
right? The reality is a person is not their sexual identity. They're a person. Mm-hmm. They're a human being. They're more than their sexual identity. Right. And to the point of the soul. Yes, exactly. That's an ensouled yeah. person. Yeah. They have a body, but the real reality is they are the soul. They are the, they are who, what occupies the body. So without getting weird about this, right. the reality is we have to look beyond. And we talk about, you know, beauty is skin deep. And <laughs> that's getting at this principle that, that we are more than our bodies. And so the reality is that you can't cut off a piece of someone's soul. That, that you are an entire soul, no matter what happens to your body. And so you have to separate your value and your dignity and your purpose and all the rest mm-hmm. from your body. And that's why this is such a complex conversation in the times we live in today, because so much of focusing on just characteristics or thoughts or, or ideas has undermined personhood. Mm-hmm. It's undermined our, our ability to, to see the value that we have purely because we're human. Mm-hmm. And for our image, our self-image to be born out of that place. Yep. And and it is a very tough and complex conversation. Oh, it is. It's multi-layered, but we have to we have to start where we need to start. And yep. the reality is with self-image, how you view yourself is important because if you have a wrong view of yourself and your own value, dignity, and purpose, you're gonna have a hard time seeing it in other people. Mm-hmm. And and it's been said, you know, like people who have been abused end up oftentimes becoming abusers. Mm-hmm. And we, if you look at people, you know, ultimately we treat others the way we treat ourselves or allow ourselves to be treated. And so if, if we are, are, have been hated people and felt hated our entire lives, mm-hmm. no wonder we feel hateful. But what if you change that and you stopped and you said, I'm going to change my frame of reference and I'm going to recognize my own value, my own dignity as an image bearer of God regardless of how I look or where I've been or what's happened to me or what I've done, that nothing can take away from that. Then you might apply that same truth to other people and say, you know what, no matter where they've come from, no matter what they've done or what's been done to them, they have value and purpose and dignity simply because they're human being like me. But the reality is hurt people hurt people, right? We've heard that said before. You know, uh, people hurt others because they have such a low view of themselves. I have yet to meet a person that has a healthy self-image who's an abuser of somebody else. Mm. It is almost always somebody that wants to harm somebody else who has a really low view of themselves. Because every image bearer that I've interacted with that gets that Mm -hmm. and says, I know I'm loved by God and made by God and valued by God. They don't go out and harm other people. Mm -hmm. They don't have a lower view of other people because as quick as they are to acknowledge their own worth, they're quick to affirm the worth of others. And they realize there's a responsibility that they have to other people to not harm them. Yeah. Right. Because it's not all about them. That's right. There's, they believe something bigger that there's an order to all of this. And I think that that's, that's a critical piece to understand because when Mm -hmm. people do go out and harm others, a lot of times they don't believe that. Mm Mm-hmm. That uh, and and you end up in a place where uh, the parable of the madman, mm. Nietzsche's parable of the madman. The ultimate conclusion is that God is dead, and the only thing that matters is conquest. Mm. And so, without God, what do you have? Nothing. You have conquest. You have conquest. You have war, death, violence, right. hate. All these things that the world claims to not like. But what's so amazing about it is they don't even consider why. The why behind that. Why do we treat each other this way? So here's a reality. We have grown up. I've grown up in a world in which um, I've been fed, really force-fed an idea that everything's a cosmic accident. You know, everything's deterministic. It's all chance and time. Right. 
and there's no souls and we're just bodies and there's no future beyond this. There's nothing supernatural. There's no God. Like that's sort of the, the MO. That's the story that's being told and replicated around the world. And then we sit here and go, I wonder why the world's going to pot. <laughs> You're like, I wonder why people mistreat each other. Well, think about it for a second. Mm-hmm. If you've been force fed this narrative that there's no God and there's no accountability, you don't have a soul. There is no why you don't have any inherent intrinsic value, no purpose and meaning, no purpose and meaning. Well, why shouldn't you be violent to others? It is. We are getting what we deserve. And I mean, if people are violent to each other, why should anybody care? Absolutely. What what reason do you say not to be violent? Like, why is that wrong? Right. So we, you see this this narrative now in the whole like uh, you know argument with race relations. Like, why should I not mistreat someone from another race? Like, why should I not mistreat them? The reality is, you have no reason why, unless you believe there's a God that holds you accountable, and those people are made in His image. Right. You have no reason. So. If you press somebody who says, we got to do what's right, you say, why do you have to do what's right? Well, what is right anyway? Well, that's it. They're like, because it's right. Well, why is it right? Because society says so. Well, what if society says otherwise? And what if not all of society agrees? That's the reality. In a (laughs) relativistic world, (laughs) oh my goodness, society could change their mind tomorrow and say, torturing babies for fun is okay now. Like it's a good thing. Does it make it good because society says it's good? This is crazy talk. Yeah. Crazy talk. You have to go back to the source and say, do people matter? And is there any accountability for those who mistreat them? So I read in um, in the book of James, there's a really fascinating scripture about how we even speak about other human beings mm. is an assault on God. Mm. And and to know that, that there's a judgment mm. There's a judgment that comes even in Genesis. It says, whoever sheds the blood of man by man, shall his blood be shed for God made man in his own image. Mm. The reason we don't perpetuate violence against other human beings, because God told us not to, and he'll judge us if we do. Right. But if there's no God, why should I care? So the point here is that we need to acknowledge the fact that there is no frame of reference without God. There's no reason to be loving to my fellow man, to recognize and affirm dignity and value and purpose of anybody, including myself, if there's no God. And so to bring it back around to, we've talked about so many different elements there that are intertwined. And even in the way we talked about it, it makes it feel like how it is, Mm -hmm. chaos. Chaos. And I think for a lot Mm -hmm. of people, they feel that, they sense that today, just this element of chaos in life that goes directly to producing fear because there's nothing stable Mm -hmm. or substantial to hang your hat on. It's like, what do I believe? What's going to provide ultimately purpose and meaning? And so to bring this back around to the self and particularly the epidemics, Mm -hmm. anxiety, depression, Uh, loneliness, Mm -hmm. suicide, these things that are increasing in our culture prior to the pandemic, prior to everything else that we're seeing, we were already having an issue there significantly. Mm -hmm. I don't know that there's many studies or anything that have come out, but people, we'll just go back to the individual as we talk about self-image, are dealing with themselves on most days. And if you're struggling with these issues in your life, Things like having a deeper sense of purpose, having a deeper sense of meaning are remedies to that. Mm. That's where it's found. Meaning is an antidepressant. Mm. Purpose is an antidepressant. These things are anti-anxiety. When you start to have more substance and stability in your life because you understand who you are, why you were made, and you have significant understanding of what you're designed to do, a lot of those other things go away. Mm -hmm. What people don't realize is... You have a choice in that. Mm -hmm. 
you could sit down, think about it, and make a conclusion and choose to think differently. You don't have to believe what you hear being sold to you. That's right. You can reject it and you can choose a different narrative. Exactly. So the narrative that we're offering you is, is a simple narrative. It is this, you know, you know, why do I matter? Because God made me, God made me matter. (laughs) That's why I matter. That's why you matter. And then he's the one who gives me purpose and value Yeah. that, that God gives us everything that we're needing and seeking the most fundamental purposes in life. And without him and a relationship with him, you mm-hmm. can't have it. There's nowhere to go because if you ask somebody now, why should we treat others well? You can say, because cause we should. Right. There's there's nowhere to go. It's just a continual circle of thinking. Mm-hmm. You We say, why should we treat ourselves well and treat others well? Because God made human beings, mm-hmm. gave them his image and said so. And he holds us accountable for how we treat ourselves and others. That's why. And if you, if you want to embrace that narrative, then it'll radically change and give you the why behind this world and why you're here and where you're going and what you're made to do. So we're offering you an alternative to this empty, barren storyline that we've been told our entire lives. And so there's no reason to have to continue to accept that. You can choose something else. And there's there's been a movement in psychology in recent years. It's over the last decade or so, it's it's fully entrenched now, and you can get degrees. Um, it was mostly championed by Martin Seligman at the University of Pennsylvania. It's called positive psychology. Mm-hmm. And what was positive psychology really? Well, Seligman, when he took the chair of the American Psychological Association, came in and said, "We've been we've been studying depression for twenty five years up until the point he took it, which was like in the late nineties when he became the chair." And he said, "We've been studying depression, and and people are becoming more unhappy." Mm-hmm. So let's start studying what makes people happy and see if anything changes. Mm-hmm. Well, the reality is the epidemics have gotten worse. Mm-hmm. But the things they did discover, though, was what actually makes a person happy. And this is pure science, is substance. Mm-hmm. The virtues and things that get developed in a human being, their level of purpose and meaning and all of those things. I think the reason the epidemics have gotten worse, even on the heels of positive psychology, is it's still not hanging its hat on anything substantive. Yeah, There's nothing bigger that's determining why these things matter. Mm-hmm. Why is it important that you be kind? Mm-hmm. And how does that make a difference for you as a person? We're still grappling and trying to grab at where it comes from. Mm-hmm. And so in a sense, it's just swirling around. Yeah, it, it, it's got to come from outside of ourselves. It has to. has to come from outside because what's inside is constantly shifting and changing. And that we can't define it for ourselves. It's been defined for us. And mm-hmm. the good news is the hard work has been done. The weight has been lifted. We have been handed down something, a narrative of humanity mm-hmm. that's been given to us that describes who we are, where we come from, and where we're going, that we don't have to invent it's already been established. So we have to go outside of ourselves to find meaning and purpose and value and and we can get it outside ourselves. But as long as you keep going internally and just trying to, you know, talk yourself out of it mm. and pump yourself up, you're not going to find it. And so to as we conclude this episode, I'm going to throw this out as a, as a possible interesting way to think about this. How much comfort comes when your self-image is tied to something outside of yourself versus you trying to determine it yourself mm. to just give some thought to that. Mm. I don't have to, I don't have the pressure of having to go and make it up on my own because, or, or have it redefined for you. Right. Yeah. Because what happens when I do try to make it up on my own 
and it doesn't seem to be working. Case for anxiety increases, more stress, depression. Where do we find the answer? So, and other people coming in and defining it for right. you. They're always moving the needle. Yeah, let know? us tell you how you're supposed oh, to. Oh, that's be. not good enough. Now it's this, and now it's that. I mean, how many times do we feel like the, 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 the marker of success and value and accomplishment is being moved? It's like you, you reach the goal line and the goal line moves again. It's so frustrating, but what if the goal line was established eons ago? Right. And the fact is, you don't have to, to to go far to cross it. It's already there. Yep. It's already been established. Well, there's so much more we could say about yeah. this. Like, we jump into these topics sometimes, and we have a skeletal view of how we're going to talk about them and whatever. And obviously, we got we got pretty passionate about this subject today mm-hmm. on this podcast. Uh, often, Kent and I don't know where it's going to end up, but like, it's interesting as we go through these discussions. And so... We hope it was valuable to you, our listeners. Um, We know that for some of you, you're looking for places to have conversations about this kind of stuff uh, that's in the four dimensions of human health and and trying to find healthy places where you can have those discussions. Uh, That's part of our goal with this podcast is to demonstrate that uh, for us to do that ourselves uh, for you to hear. Uh, And maybe it's an encouragement to you. I hope it is that you can find people in your life outside of this podcast where you can have those kinds of discussions. And so we appreciate you, our listeners, uh, the growth junkies that that are out there. Uh, If you want to learn more about Love and Transformation Institute, because this podcast is a production of LTI, you can find out that information on loveandtransformation.org. You can pick up a copy of The Four Dimensions of Human Health on Amazon. And uh, we got more to come. And so keep tuning in and we look forward to being with you next time.